morning. Please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, and this morning we'll focus our attention on Noah, famous Noah. What I'd like to do is just begin by reading the first seven verses, and uh, as I said, seven, verse 7 is about Noah, so let's just look here. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So here we are, friends, in the famous Hebrews chapter 11, what we sometimes call the hall of faith. It, uh, the author, uh, as I sort of picture it in my mind, is our tour guide, and he has opened the doors of this museum, and he's taken us in, and one by one, he's showing, the, showing us the portraits of men and women, giants of the faith, that, uh, and he's doing that to encourage the church. These are people who had faith in the same Jesus and God and Holy Spirit that you and I have faith in. And they endured through all kinds of circumstances. And so it's written for our encouragement to keep going in the faith, brothers and sisters. Uh, I guess what I'd like to uh, talk about today, in, uh, when we think about Noah, and I, he needs no introduction. Um, in fact, I think Joni might be doing Noah in the sun. No, Jonah, sorry. The other uh, guy, <laughs> not Jonah, uh, right? Yeah, but, you know, we have all know about Noah. Um, I guess I would title today's message, The Goodness and Severity of God. And those are words from Paul in Romans chapter 11, where he says, Note that the goodness and the severity of God... Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. So I'm going to just try to get us up to speed and and think about the encouragement that comes from Noah's life. Um, And 
Sort of like Andrew, I'll just make mention that it's been very hot. Uh, we all know that. It was interesting just driving around a little bit yesterday how quiet it was because it seemed that so many people had just moved indoors and there just wasn't a lot of activity. Uh, the hot and dry climate can suck the moisture right out of us and exhaust and weaken our bodies as we live and move about. It can drain our strength, reduce our activity, and slow us down. We need shade and a cool drink of water. We need to be refreshed, revived, and strengthened to get back up and to be about our business. And what is true for us in a heat wave is also true for us in a spiritual climate in which we live today. And the thing about Noah, as you might remember, is that the culture in which he lived is the very culture in which will be present at the time just before the Lord returns. And so we have a very interest, deep interest in connection to Noah and his world. Jesus said that in Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be. And we'll talk about that as we go. So I'm presuming, hopefully, that you are familiar enough with Noah. And we'll go back into Genesis 6 and we'll look at the, the culture in which he lived, which is the anticipation, or maybe it's here, I'm not sure, sure looks like it, but the culture in which he lived was very challenging and anti-Christ, to be honest. And so what is needed for us in a spiritual climate that is dry and hot is that we can be exhausted and weakened in our faith to live in a world where what is good and right, where what is good and right as revealed to us by the Spirit of God in the Word of God, is considered wrong. And what is wrong is considered good and right. This very sort of thing has infiltrated every part of our society. The halls of justice, right to our very homes, to the classrooms, to every part of our lives. And it can cause the bride of Christ to feel hopeless. It can cause us, the church to draw back. And we run the risk of becoming cynical and bitter, unbelieving in God, in His grace, in His personal activity in today's world. I need reviving. We all need reviving. We need a fresh look at the love and the kindness and the severity of God. And Noah provides that for us. We need a cool drink of water, shall we say, a spiritual drink of water, which is exactly what Jesus said to the woman at the well. She was burned out on life. And he said to her, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him or her will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And he's talking about the impartation of his very life by the Holy Spirit through the person and work of the Holy Spirit that we receive when we repent and believe in Jesus Christ. New Living Translations, those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. 
It's interesting the response of the woman that Jesus had this conversation with. And I'm just going to suggest to you, I'm going to, hark, I'm going to point our direction this morning in Noah's response to God's kindness and favor and grace to him. And it tells us that Noah moved with godly fear. I want to stress that for us this morning and try to understand exactly what that means. And I suggest to you that the woman moved with godly fear. If she had an encounter with Jesus Christ. And she, at one point, she just said, well, we know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, guess what? <laughs> I am he, right? And it says, she left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the, ran back to the village, telling everyone, all right? She was moved with godly fear. And we'll investigate that concept here in a few moments. So the portrait of Noah is before us today for the very same reason, that he was put before the readers in their day and that they were enduring a great struggle in the faith as there was a, everything that was considered that they knew to be right and good as revealed to them by the Holy Spirit and through the word of God was being considered wrong. And they were growing weary and there was, there was a danger of drawing back from the faith. And so the writer uses Noah we're standing in the, in the museum now, and, and, the, and the light in the ceiling is just focused on the portrait of Noah. And uh, today we'll take a look at this man's life and draw encouragement from him. He's a giant of the faith. A man with a towering faith and hope in the living God that caused him to persevere in a spiritual wilderness. I think of Noah a bit as sort of a John the Baptist kind of guy. Not perhaps in his appearance and in his dress, but in the fact that he was all alone, if you will, in a wilderness preaching the righteousness of God to anybody that would listen. He stood alone as he lived and preached to his fellow man their need to get right with God so they can live. So as I mentioned earlier, Noah's day becomes extremely interesting or should become extremely interesting to, for us because Jesus said that the conditions that existed in the world during his day will be repeated prior to his second coming. Matthew 24. As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood... They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. And I'll just tell you right up front, before we go to Genesis, that sounds like a very different assessment than what we're going to read in Genesis. We get to Genesis and all hell breaks loose, literally. It's an outbreak of demonic activity. There's sexual perversion to the extreme. There's violence. The hearts of men are only think of bad things all the time. And, and corruption has permeated the whole planet. And yet Jesus said, he talks about things that are just very normal. They're eating. They're drinking. They're marrying. They're giving in marriage. It sounds so very, very different. And nobody understood that the flood was coming until Noah went into the ark. What's Jesus communicating here? 
I believe what he's communicating is that they were willfully ignorant. They were completely indifferent to, Mo to Noah's message that was preached with his mouth and his life. And they felt like they had their best life now. And so there was just this indifference to their responsibility, their accountability to God. Maybe that's what we'll experience uh, as the Lord's second coming draws near. So go back with me now to Genesis 6 after that uh, long-winded introduction. Here we go back to Genesis 6, and we'll just take a look at uh, Noah as he's introduced to us here. If you haven't been in Genesis in a while, uh, it's always good to go back to the beginning, see the origin of life and the progression. God's working with men to redeem them back to himself as sin entered the world. Genesis 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. And so we see right away that there is a, an increase in a global population. There's sort of a, an explosion, a population explosion, if you will. It says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives from themselves, and of all whom they chose. Maybe you've wrestled with this verse in the past. Uh, the sons of God seems to be a reference to demonic beings. Uh, I'm not suggesting to you that angels had sex with women. Uh, and I say that because Jesus informs us himself that when we all go to heaven, we're going to be like angels, right? And that there is, they don't have a reproductive nature about them. There's a fixed number of angels that he created. Some fell, some remained faithful. But I do think, and this is my own thought here, you may, you've probably studied this yourselves, but I think that what happened is that there was a, an intense demonic influence and maybe even possession, and it got really weird. These you know, you go to Job, it says the sons of God came to the throne of God, and, and, and then Satan came with them. And so that term sons of God seems to refer to fallen angels, demonic beings. And it's, so at this time, that's why I say there was this increase of outright demonic activity. Hey, we know this, brothers and sisters. We read Revelation, which is the revelation of this world prior to the Lord's coming and there's an antichrist and there's a false prophet and they're empowered by the devil himself and so things are going to get really really weird and by the way they're going to do signs and miracles and people are going to go ooh ah it must be genuine so here we are in Noah's day right the sons of God saw the daughters of men it would appear that there's just this outright demonic activity in Noah's day. And there was an increase in the population. And Lord said in verse 3, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. All right? In other words, the Lord starts the, the clock ticking. There's about 120 years, and then the flood will come, and it will be the end. And that's where we come up with the idea that Noah was building the ark for 120 years. Okay? 
But the thing that interests me here is that the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with men. It's the time in the age of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of men. Jesus said this very thing in the room, upper room with the disciples in John 16. I need to go away so the Spirit will come and he will convince and convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's the very same Holy Spirit who is God working in this age prior to the flood. By the way, Noah's not a Jew. The Jewish population wasn't singled out and created until Abraham came. He's our next one in the Hall of Faith. Noah's just a human, just like everybody else. There is no particular religious movement here, but the Spirit of God was working. It's a beautiful indication that God is seeking men to know Him and to love Him. And He poured out His Spirit in this age, in, in conflict and in contrast to the darkness that was being spread throughout. It's the age of the Spirit as well. It's beautiful. Verse 4, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord, I believe what that's saying there is that the Lord has feelings. He does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And here it is. But Noah. Isn't that great? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Did you see that, brothers and sisters? It doesn't say that he earned grace. It says that he found grace. What did we just read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6? God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In this age of wilderness, as we were talking about, population explosion, sexual perversion, widespread corruption and violence. God, I hate saying this. It's so depressing. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Holy Spirit worked in Noah's heart, mind, and conscience, and he realized that he was wrong in God's sight. He repented. He came humbly and honestly. He poured out his heart to God, and God forgave him, and he had an experience with God that saved his soul. It was just a a blessed, God poured his favor upon him. God accepted him and and, and expressed to Noah's heart through the Spirit of God that he was loved by God. And there was this glorious change in, in Noah. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What a beautiful verse. Noah was like everybody else, his mind was filthy. His behavior was not good. But there was, there was a pricking of the, his conscience by the Spirit of God, and he came and he confessed, and he was forgiven, and he has a relationship now with God. 
Next verse says this is the genealogy of Noah. He was a just man. He was a righteous man. Not because he did anything, but because he expressed his faith in God's forgiveness and who God is. God made him right. There's none righteous but God. It says he was perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. It's the second time, right? Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. What's that famous line in Amos? How can two walk together unless they be agreed? Right? Noah and God, they're like, we're buddies. We're friends, right? Verse 11, the earth was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth and indeed it was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Verse 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth was filled with violence and through them, uh, through them, and behold, I will destroy them. Make yourself an ark. And so he talks about the dimensions of the ark, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, like a shoebox kind of dimensionally. Verse 22, thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. <laughs> he told him about something that had never happened before, and Noah believed it because he knew God, and he knew God's character. Therefore, Noah responded. He was moved with godly fear. What I want to show you today, my brothers and sisters, is that the fear mentioned here in Hebrews, and you can turn back with there if you'd like, Hebrews 11, just to see it again. Hebrews 11, verse 7. Noah was divinely warned of things not yet seen. And when that happened, he moved with godly fear. And then he prepared an ark to the saving of his household. So there was this internal response... to what God had said to him, even though it was completely unknown at that time. So what I want to show you today is that this fear that's mentioned here is a good kind of fear. It's not the kind of fear that causes us to dread, to be scared for our lives like Adam and Eve in the garden, right? They heard the voice of the Lord and they were afraid. There was a sense of, of punishment and dread because they were full of guilt and shame. It wasn't that at all. That's a bad fear. It means it's, it's not that. It's not the kind of fear that causes us to quake in our boots. I wrote here to run for cover from the volcano of doom that's about to explode with fire and destruction. That kind of fear causes anxiety. It's PTSD, basically. It's not sustainable. Do you think Noah could have gone to work on this ark with that kind of fear working in his heart and mind? He would have crashed and burned within weeks, especially as he's building it out in a waste wilderness, miles from any body of water. And rain, I was, apparently, had never happened before. Can you imagine the ridicule? the mockery, the laughter at this crazy guy. It's not sustainable, that kind of fear. There's no way he could have endured in those conditions with that kind of fear going on in his life. 
just like there's no way that you and I can sustain and persevere in the faith if we're afraid, if we're afraid. It's a good kind of fear. It's a godly fear. I've been greatly helped by a book that I've mentioned before, uh, written by a professor named Michael Reeves, and it's called Fear and Trembling. And it's basically the, the thesis of this book is what is good fear? So let me just quote a couple of verses and some comments by this guy, Michael Reeves, because it helps me understand what's going on in the heart and mind of Noah, and I hope it will encourage each one of us and we'll feel refreshed as we examine the portrait of Noah. It's a good kind of fear, a fear that is overwhelmed with joy and beauty and hope. It's that startling feeling that sort of takes your breath away when you see something spectacularly great. Jeremiah 33 says this, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. This is God speaking. And it says, They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity that I provide it, Jerusalem and God's people. Now look, I understand as I'm saying this that we're taking a word fear that we generally just presuppose is a bad thing. But we're looking at it now with a different lens. We're looking at it as it can be presented to us as a good thing, as the scriptures reveal it to us. And Jeremiah 33 is one of those classic examples where God is speaking through the prophet and he's basically preaching the new covenant through Jeremiah. And he says, I'm going to forgive all their guilt and their sin. They'll fear and tremble, not because we're afraid, but because of all the good and all the prosperity that I will provide it. The response of those who come to know a good and kind and gracious and favorable and loving and merciful and compassionate and holy God is one of fear, a good kind of fear. I need a lot of help with this because I'm stuck with my conception of fear. Another verse, Psalm 147, 11. Listen to this one. It's very short. The Lord delights... The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. It's a good fear. It's a positive response. It's like that woman at the well when all of a sudden the light came on as Jesus plainly said to her, I'm the Messiah. She's moved with godly fear. She's blown away. And she runs in the town and she says, come see the one who told me everything that I ever did. It must be God. He's met me right here where I'm at in my dry wilderness and he hasn't condemned me. He's shown favor to me. He's accepted me. I, a woman of Samaria, him, a Jew. She was moved with fear. Listen to Jacob as he ran away from home. Well, his mom sent him out of the house. She kicked him out of the house, basically. Uh, Jacob's response is he is out on his first night. Apparently, he's never camped before because he's out. He was kind of a mama's boy. He lived in the tent, right? Esau was the hunter. He was the hairy guy. He was burly and just every, he was a man's man, so to speak. 
So Jacob gets kicked out of the house. He goes out. He's camping for the first time in his life. And he's like, pulls up a rock for a pillow. It's like, okay, you're going to learn, right? But he has a dream. And in the dream, he sees a ladder. And it's set up from, he- from earth to heaven. And angels are going up and down on this ladder. And God is there. And he speaks to Jacob. And the Lord promises to bless and increase and keep him and never leave him. The Lord promises to bless and increase Jacob and keep him and never leave him. And in the presence of goodness and grace, when Jacob wakes up from this dream, he says, how awesome is this place? Same word as fear, which might be an appropriate synonym, right? Fear, awesome. He's just blown away by this amazing God who has given him these great promises. Consider the prophecy in in, uh, Isaiah chapter 11. The prophecy that describes Jesus' character himself. Jesus himself. It says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Jesus wasn't afraid. He lived in God's love. He completely kept himself in the love of his father and he was filled with joy and confidence. You with me, friends? When it says that Noah was moved with godly fear... I suggest to you that he kept his eyes fixed on the grace, on the favor of God that he discovered on that day of salvation when he found the favor of God through his own repentance and he saw that God was not wanting and willing and seeking to destroy him. Noah came with all the problems that everybody else in the world had. But he saw a beautiful and a loving and a holy God And it caused him to respond in faith. There's a Puritan by the name of William Gouge who sort of says it this way. True godly fear, quote, arises from faith in the mercy and goodness of God. True godly fear arises from faith in the mercy and goodness of God. For when the heart of man hath once felt a sweet taste of God's goodness and found that in his favor only all happiness consists, it is stricken with such an inward awe and reverence. Godly fear casts out fear. Amen? This was the experience of the ladies at the empty tomb on Easter morning. It says, as you know, they arrived, the stone was rolled away, they looked inside, there's the angels, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's alive. What was their response? Departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. They were, they were, it was more than they could ever have dreamed of. That this great Jesus that they'd followed and loved and was loved by him, who they thought all hope was lost. And here they are, and now hope is revived in them. 
and they ran out with fear and great joy. Not they weren't afraid. It's like they're just, there was an experience, a startling emotional response to something so fantastic. I've had the advantage of officiating a few weddings in my life, and um, I'll have that advantage again. Alan and Tracy, <laughs> praise the Lord. Take advantage of a moment there. God bless you, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Uh, one particular one really kind of struck me. It was one of the first weddings I'd ever done out in California. Uh, the venue was unbelievable. Um, I knew the future husband and wife, attended Cornell years and years ago. Um, loved them a lot, still do. But I'll never forget, um, as I'm standing there in this outdoor venue, which was designed for weddings, um, they're looking down the aisle. It's outdoors, right? It's California. Uh, it's beautiful. Um, there's this big gate with big black hinges in it. It was shut, right? And uh, Danny was just on the other side of that. And we're all there, and we're waiting. And um, I don't know, it was just one odd moment, right? The sun and all, but when that thing opened, that doors opened, there she stood. Uh, and I guess I'm saying all that because there was a sense almost of fear, a good fear of someone so, there was just so much white in, in purity and so dazzling. And just the moment itself just had that sense of awe and reverence, and, and there was just that good, godly fear that was there in the place where these two future husband and wife had kept themselves for each other by faith in Jesus Christ. There was so much going on in this wedding. It was fantastic. And so to have that perspective just is what came to my mind, to, to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is what sustained Noah. It's what I want us to be sustained by in this world that is looking a lot like Noah's day. <laughs> I'm not keen enough to discern all the spiritual, satanic stuff that's going on. Some of it seems pretty evident. But, you know, they're an angel of, he's an angel of light. They are posers, right? There's all kinds of deceptive stuff happening. But I can see, and you can see just as well as I, that it's, it's dark. And I just want us to take, and I think the author wants us to just take this portrait, this fix our eyes on what Noah moved with godly fear. It was a good kind of fear because he saw God's favor to him in the midst of a very dark situation. Peter tells us Noah is a preacher of righteousness. And essentially, that's what it tells us here. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world. He went to work. He got up and he started... It would be fascinating to... Well, it will be fascinating to talk to Noah. It's like, how do you build a boat when nobody ever had such a thing? It's like he had to figure out all the engineering and the structural engineering and the, you got to go cut trees and how do you cut trees and shape them into shapes that work on a boat? And pitch? Where do you get pitch and do all this stuff? He had drawings. He had probably models that he had put together and 
tested in a little tub of water. It's like, eh, that didn't work. Took several decades maybe just to figure it all out. As he's doing this all alone. But he endured through decades and decades of, the, of mockery from outside and doubts from within inside. But what he'd keep going back to the majesty of who God is, his beauty and his compassion and his power. And that, I believe, is what sustained him. It says he walked with God. There's a daily sort of, I need to be with you, Jesus. Now tell me again, if I got this right, you want me to build a boat. <laughs> it's hard for us to fathom, to, to be told of something that's never happened yet. But you know it's true. You know it's true because you know the one who told you. And you know his character and his personality. And, and the more you fellowship, the more we fellowship with him. I see the goodness. And I understand the severity of God. I understand it because how I escaped, or how you escaped as we came to faith. I often uh, give the analogy of, of walking down a road, which came to mind as I was walking down the road one day back in my parents' home, right? And, uh, you know, they got the white line there on the edge of the road, and then there's a shoulder. And so I'm walking on the white line, and I'm lost in some thought, and a big tractor-trailer truck is coming toward me. Well, obviously, I step to the side, but it's a narrow shoulder, and so as the thing passes, just from me to the keyboard away, you know, there's this blast of air that kind of... It's like, oh my goodness, if I had taken one step over, that's the end. God's favor. He allowed me to escape the wrath of God that I so justly deserve, that all men justly deserve. It's blown by me. He did not hit me. It's escaped. I've escaped that because of Jesus Christ. And so just to come back to the, to the basic God is kind and he's good. And that will sustain us as we see our world unraveling around us. When that which we know is right and good as revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through the word of God, when those things get twisted and turned and said to be wrong, then we basically have a scenario sort of like the last verse in Judges. Everybody does what's right in your own eyes. And there's no king. I think the big struggle back in Genesis was for authority. Everybody's struggling for power, but nobody wants God's power or authority over their lives. And it turned into complete social anarchy and political craziness. And religious was right out the window. As Jesus told us, they just married and ate and drank, and it's like, this is great. Really? And they did not know. Noah was moved with godly fear. One of the only times it says godly fear. So brothers and sisters, just hopefully that will encourage you this morning. That's a good kind of fear. And there is such a thing. And it's the very kind of fear that you've already experienced as you came to faith in Christ. And you saw that first light invaded your dark heart. You saw the glory and the, and the grace 
of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Don't move off of that. Because as it was, so it shall be. If God leads you to become activists and get involved in outwardly confronting in areas of trouble, then God bless you. Notice I'm not including myself in that. And I think there will be a great effect, right? Noah condemned the world with his words and his, and his works. And he became an heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. So I just close with one final thought, and that is uh, the goodness and severity of God. It actually is on full display on the cross itself. On that one glorious event, we see the kindness of God himself giving himself as a ransom for us. And in the process, we see the severity of God. Severity is a word that uh, it, it means uh, something comes suddenly, abruptly. Um, it's, it's with uh, rigor. It's precipitous, if I remember my study, right? And it, it's, have uh, you all seen, some of you are old enough to remember the, the tsunami in 2004, December 26th, right? We've all seen the video, right? It's, it's unbelievable, as people are walking the beaches of Thailand or Indonesia or Sri Lanka on beautiful sunny day in December, having no idea that this earthquake had occurred, 9.2, and that this massive flood is coming their way. And you see the pictures. It just came severely, if you will, and it cut them off. And in the cross we see the goodness and the severity of God. Titus said, the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. <laughs> right? And so I pray that that will be a, somehow a, a cool drink of water for you this morning. So let's stand and, and we'll pray together. Lord, a fresh look at Noah. And uh, I just so admire this man, his endurance, his ability to continue in, in the face of great tr struggle and doubts. And I thank you so much, Lord, that he knew you. I know you. We know the same God. We have the same Savior. Lord, I'll just admit, that your glory, your majesty, that, that dazzling beauty that struck my heart and soul so long ago. I need a fresh reviving, Lord. I believe we all do. That you would increase, that we would decrease. That you would increase and increase, Lord. That we'd be moved with godly fear. Like those women at the tomb, just fear and great joy. It comes with ecstatic joy and, and freedom and, and release because of how great you are and kind and compassionate to us. Lord, if any of us have unconfessed sin this morning, pray we would just bring that to the blood of Christ.
get that under your blood and be restored in our relationship with you. Increase in us, Lord, a witness that we would be your witnesses, your light, and live and preach your gospel that many more would come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessings to you, friends.